Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I am one of the pastors here at Res City. In case this is your first time worshiping with us, whether here in person or online, we're very thankful to have you uh, with us this morning. Uh, like Zach said, we are uh, kicking off a new series for the fall, and Zach and I were actually hanging out on Wednesday night. Um, and he, he's like, we were talking a little bit about it, and he's like, you're excited about this new series, aren't you? And I was like, man, I'm always excited for a new series. So I don't know, but I am pretty excited about it. I am pretty, pretty pumped. We've been planning this one for a little while, so it'll be fun. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get into it. Lord, thank you for um, being with us. Um, we thank you that your presence dwells with us this morning as we come together to worship you, to um, seek out and know and to follow your son, Jesus, God, as we uh, are refreshed and revitalized by encounter with you, by encounter with one another, um, as other people who are living out that same uh, calling, that same belief, God, I pray that you would just be with us this morning. Um, give us vision for what you're calling us to today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So when we planted Res City, it's like three and a half years ago now at this point, you know, we kind of had some ideas of like what, you know, what it would look like, what we hoped it would look like, and like a year into it, those, you know, everything that we had had ever thought could happen in planting a church had, you know, totally been turned on its head, right? The last few years have been just kind of nuts. A, lot's, a lot has happened since then. I think we have all felt like that a little bit in different ways. We all kind of maybe thought we knew what the, you know, the, the, these few years might look like for us, and that's not at all how it's gone, right? Life has, has changed, and the world around us is kind of changing a lot because of cra- crazy events that have happened in our lifetime. And so as we were kind of thinking about this this year, not just this sermon series, but this whole year, we were kind of thinking about how do we sort of meet that moment well? What does it look like for us as a church as we are kind of, you know, coming together on Sunday mornings, we're meditating on God's Word, we're going into our community groups and we're talking to, to, with, with one another, right? We want to connect that to what's going on in the world, but how do we do that well? And we kind of thought, you know, what would it look like for us to just kind of reset, to in some ways go back to the basics and kind of press in on what you know, is super important for us so that we can kind of be prepared as we, you know, enter into, we leave on Sunday mornings, we leave our community groups and and go back into this sort of changing, sometimes turbulent world. And when Jesus would call someone in his ministry, he often had this sort of pattern. So he would first offer a word of comfort to people. He would heal them. He'd restore them in some way. He'd meet their needs. He'd kind of see where they're at. But then he would challenge them to turn, to, re- to repent. That's the word that would be used often. And then after those two things had happened, he would give them some summons to follow after him. And so we kind of thought like that pattern makes a lot of sense for us as we sort of go back to the basics of just following Jesus and whatever, you know, this season of life that we're in, whatever the world is going to look like as it kind of changes, it makes sense for us to maybe go back to that, to follow that pattern and what we are discussing as a church. And so, you know, back last winter and spring as we entered the, the 2022, we did He Refreshes My Soul. Talked a lot about what it looks like to be healed and comforted as we walk tenderly with the Good Shepherd. And then uh, this summer, we did Build and Plant, a series in Jeremiah where we were allowing ourselves to be challenged. We were letting God do some uprooting and tearing down like we talked about in that series so that He could uh, build and plant. And now, the summon side of that, we're going to be talking about uh, this fall, the Sermon on the Mount. 
Okay, the Sermon on the Mount, a very famous passage from the book of Matthew. Uh, we're just going to spend the fall really digging into it. I'm very excited about that. Now, to intro it, um, I want you to think about this a little bit. Have you ever wondered why, like, dystopian or, like, post-apocalyptic future stories are, like, so popular? Have you ever noticed that? Like, they're really popular, like, in our society to kind of enter into this world where there's, like, this cataclysmic event that has happened and has sort of, like, changed human existence forever. And you're kind of seeing this story about these people who are, you know, living in the midst of that change in some way. There was a whole, like, genre of YA books that were really popular for a long time with this. Like, you know, books like The Hunger Games or Divergent or The Giver. Um, You know, maybe you read one of those or you watched one of the movies, and maybe you just kind of walked out of the movies if you started them at some point. There's uh, classics, like Planet of the Apes, right? A very old movie, but a classic idea of that where, you know, monkeys are now running the world. It's kind of a, kind of a crazy premise, but a famous one. Zombies are incredibly popular, but usually zombie stories are kind of a story about that. So the, the TV show The Walking Dead or Zombieland, right? This, you know, Zombieland is literally like, here's the rules for living in this sort of new world, and you've got to learn them. That's kind of the point of, point of the movie, right? Um, I, don't, I don't know if you like these kinds of stories, right? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And if you do, I'm not sure what your particular reason is, but I kind of wonder if part of the reason, like, we as a society are so attracted to things like this is that they invite us to consider what life might be, you know, if everything changed around us. And we kind of have to ask ourselves, how would, how would things look if everything changed, right? We're used to the world in a lot of ways as we've grown up in it, okay? We've lived in it for a long time. We're used to, you know, the rhythms, the patterns, and everything. But what happened if all that changed, What would life look like if everything were totally different? I don't know, maybe it's exciting to you to feel like you're taken out of like the humdrum, you know, you find it all very boring, or maybe you think, well, you know, things might be bad here at times on earth, but at least they're not that bad, right? It could be a lot worse. We could have the Hunger Games that we could get drafted into, you know, that would be a lot worse than, you know, I hate my job right now or something like that, right? Maybe that's how you feel. Okay, whatever it is, though, I think we find ourselves very fascinated to ask that question, Right? And, and be honest, right? If you've ever read or, or you know, one of those books or watched one of those movies, like, you've got a plan to survive the Hunger Games, right? Admit it. You've got somewhere stashed away just in case a plan to survive the Hunger Games. You, you read that part where PETA like, used his baking skills to make himself look like a tree, and you're like, if, if that guy could survive the Hunger Games with those skills, like, I think I could figure something else out you know, um, that would be even more helpful than that. Okay? Real-world example of this, right? Today is September 11th. Um, I don't know, you know, I know some of you in the room weren't even alive uh, when the Twin Towers fell, but I remember in seventh grade sitting in class and we kind of got this announcement over the PA and our teacher was talking to us a little bit about it and I didn't really understand, I never heard of the Twin Towers, I didn't really understand um, what was going on, but as I started to realize what was going on and I went home and I watched, you know, the, the videos of it, like, I kind of felt like, man, I feel like a lot of stuff is fundamentally changing around me forever. Like, it just felt like you'd entered a different world in a sense. I bring all this up because I think it helps us understand what's going on in the Gospels. The books of the Bible called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these stories about Jesus that we're all very familiar with, Um, And we'll be spending our time this fall in the book of Matthew going through the Sermon on the Mount. I think something that we routinely gloss over, even in the church, when we read these stories or we think about what's going on 
within Christianity, within, within what we believe, is that an event like we're talking about, these sort of cataclysmic or life-altering, world-changing events that, ha- that happen and shape life all around it that we were talking about just a little bit ago, that has happened already in our world. And the Gospels are the story of that happening, of that announcement that the world is fundamentally changed forever because of what God is doing. And it's not ushering in some dark future like in those stories or, or pain and suffering like with 9-11, but something to rescue us from darkness. And so in the Gospels, we are told the story of this event happening and of its first announcement. And readers, the people in the story, and then us as readers today, we're invited to shape our lives around that announcement as well, to live truly as if the world has been changed forever, and to sort of ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to shape our lives around this event, this event of God coming and announcing that something has changed forever? Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, when we, as we start to come to the part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has just begun announcing that God is doing something. And, and it's the same sort of way that like a tornado siren going off says, hey, I'm really sorry to disrupt you, but this is too important to ignore. Okay, you have got to react. You need to adjust what you're doing to the presence of this tornado. Jesus is announcing that people need to wrap their lives around what God is up to as well. And so in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we're told that from that time on, Jesus, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Okay, this is what he's announcing. God is bringing his kingdom crashing into earth. And you all need to pay attention. You all need to take that seriously. When the God of the universe says that he's bringing a kingdom into existence and he accompanies it with signs of of power and people are compelled by those signs but also uh, by this inner compulsion of the spirit of God acting upon them, tugging at them, and then he literally raises Jesus from the dead, we can't help but admit that, yeah, I think the world has changed forever and, yeah, I think we need to take this seriously and wrap our lives around this. And so when Jesus comes and he announces this, he's forcing us to make a decision. How are we going to respond to what God is up to? And when he says the word repent here, okay, when he's calling people to repent, he's not saying, hey, I want you to admit that like one time you watched a, you know, a raunchy movie and you kind of enjoyed it, you know, and you got to feel sorry for that, right? It's not, that's not really what he's talking about here. It's not just admitting we messed up, although I think that's included It's bigger than that. Jesus is saying, God has come, so you need to assess your whole life, your habits, your feelings, your obligations, your goals, your calendar, any agenda that you have which is currently pulling you away from God. You need to look at your life and you need to agree to turn from them and align yourself to what God is revealing in Jesus in this kingdom. And so when we repent, God is inviting us to shape our lives around this announcement by learning and living a new culture that fits this new state of affairs, okay? Learning, listen, learning and living a culture is like, it's as fundamental to us as breathing is, okay? I think we're all aware of that, um, but we don't actually see that until maybe we enter something new. So when you start a new job, 
you, you, you find that there's a culture here, and you kind of can see that because you're new, but if you've been there long enough, you just, have, you just have no idea, right? If you get married, right, you find your spouse's family has got their own culture, and sometimes you have to kind of learn to navigate through that. When you move to a new region or country, you find that there's culture there, and you see very clearly it's different, okay? You, you can see that. And it's one of those things you don't really realize until you go somewhere new, Okay? So uh, what is culture, right? What, what, is, what is a definition? I found this from Texas A&M. I think it's a really helpful. And there's a lot of definitions for culture you could find, but I thought this one was helpful. A culture is a way of life of a group of people, the behaviors, the beliefs, the values, and the symbols that they accept generally without thinking about them and that are passed along by communication and imitation. Okay, it's so much a part of us that it comes out of us without thinking about it and it's totally unnoticed. And we learn that from everything going on around us. God's kingdom has a culture. It has behaviors, beliefs, values, symbols that we accept. And he wants us to be intentional to embrace those because this new thing has come and to live it out. And so early on in Jesus' ministry, after he started to make this announcement, Matthew tells us, the, the, the writer of this gospel tells us that Jesus goes up on a mountainside and he gives a full-on sermon about what life wrapped around this kingdom culture is going to look like, okay? Now, he likely gave this sermon more than once. It might have been his stump speech even, in a way, is what some scholars think, okay? So we're told this in Matthew 5, 1 to 2. Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And so in this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be sitting you know, at the foot of the mountainside, like people would have been doing with Jesus, and asking, what does it look like for me to shape my life around this announcement that God is doing something? He's bringing his kingdom to earth through Jesus. And we're going to calibrate or recalibrate ourselves to it so that we can be restored, so that we can be a non-anxious, I think, kingdom presence secure in who we are in Christ as the world around us feels like it's tectonically shifting. Okay, that's our goal for this fall. Okay, so to kick off this series today, I want to start with the iconic beginning of the sermon that Jesus gives. Blessed are the talking about who is blessed in God's kingdom. That's what we'll be talking about today. Now, typically, these are called the Beatitudes. Does anyone know what that word means? Has anyone ever used that word in a sentence before? I didn't think so. Um, it's a Latin word. It means blessed and happy. Okay? It means blessed and happy. And the Greek word is kind of hard to translate to English, that Latin word too. But weirdly, okay, just go with me here. I actually think hashtag blessed might not actually be the worst way to understand this. Okay? Weirdly, all right? We use this on social media when we're trying to indicate that we think that we're living like the good life right? And we want people to recognize it, you know? Like something is good, I'm posting on social media, I'm hashtag blessed, right? I want you to recognize I'm living the good life. I, I uh, you know, I, I'm happy and I'm sharing this, or maybe you're boasting it, I don't know, right? I'm, I'm living the good life. I'm living the good life. I'm blessed. I'm happy. One of the things that defines a culture is what we see as living the good life, as living blessed, right? That kind of shows what is honored in this culture, society, what we should seek out, when should we should celebrate with people is, is when they, we, we acknowledge that they're blessed in some way. 
And just like any other culture, God's kingdom is like that too. And here we're told who is blessed, who is honored, who should be celebrated, who should feel hopeful and expectant of God's favor on them as this kingdom arrives on earth. And I think if we could sum it up, okay, I think if we could sum up why what we're going to talk about, these people are blessed, I think we'd say it's because fundamentally they have God's attention. And they should have ours as a result. Okay, to be blessed, I think, means to have God's attention. It's for God to see you and to be pleased with what's going on with you, okay? We're going to talk about what that looks like, okay? It's, it's probably not what you expect when you think about that, all right? It's probably going to be turning that upside down. And so what I want to do is I want to read just all of them to you really quickly, but then afterwards, I'm going to read them upside down. Kind of think of it like a modern, like, funhouse mirror version of the Beatitudes. It's kind of like what we might say in our culture just to see how it doesn't feel like it totally lines up with the culture of the kingdom that Jesus is preaching here, okay? So let, let's put this up. All right, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so that's what Jesus says. Let me, uh, let me uh, submit to you how we might write this today. Blessed are those who are brimming with self-confidence, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are positive and happy, for they will never experience discomfort. Blessed are those who make a name for themselves, refusing to be denied it, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to see the world set wrong and to their own image, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are always kind to themselves first and seeking out their own good, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who look pure to everyone around them, Signaling all the right opinions, checking all the right boxes for everyone else, for they will see God. Blessed are the ones who get results, no matter how dirty their hands must get, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are popular and loved by all, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people speak well of you and aren't challenged at all because of me. It's a little different, huh? It feels a little bit different, but it feels uh, like what we, what we might say those who look blessed in our culture are. 
Okay, so what I want to do for the rest of the sermon here is I want to dig into these a little bit more. We're not going to get to all of them today. We don't have time to kind of unpack every single one of them, but I picked a few that I really want to dig into, just give some reflections. And then afterwards, we're actually going to wrap up with some Q&R, some question and response time. So we did this last fall. It was really fun. After the sermon is done, we'd love uh, to try to get to two or three questions that people might have. I'll maybe necessarily not answer them, but I'll try to give a best response to them. And if you'd like to submit one, you can go to our website, redcitychurch.org, and there's a little uh, question bubble kind of on the bottom right-hand corner. Click that. Any question you might have, go ahead and throw that in there. On the main page, yeah. No, I looked at it before. There's a little bubble at the end. Whatever, you can figure it out. You're probably pretty tech-savvy people better than me. So anyway, go ahead and and fill that out, uh, and we'll try to get to a few of them. All right, first of all, let's talk about Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor in spirit, what does that mean? I think it probably often includes those who are materially poor. Jesus had a very, you know, he paid attention to those who were sort of at the bottom uh, end of the socioeconomic ladder in his time and place. But I think the point is, it goes deeper than this. It goes deeper. It is that it is those who know their need of God. Okay, those who understand their need of God. Now, here's why I think this might be a bit of a challenge to us. I think we, we often don't consider our need of God, let alone reach out, at least not until like, it's the last resort. Okay? Not, you know, it's not the first thing we think about is our need of God. It's like once we've exhausted all of our other options, we might think, I we should pray about this. That might be a good idea. When I've kind of like, realized I can't figure it out on my own. Okay? I think we see being in need, if we're really being honest, we see being in need, needing to rely on others, needing to be dependent as a bit of a weakness. Right? It is something to avoid. And that being self-sufficient and independent is one of our main goals in life, oftentimes. Okay? And so prayer, seeking God out, often becomes a last resort. Like, it's like we, we figured out after trying our, as hard as we can, that we are actually not able, self-sufficient to meet some need, then we finally might reach out to God or others, okay? I'll be honest, all right? I actually think for us living in America, many people, you know, are, are people who are successful, who have come from well-off families. They've accomplished a lot in their lives. They've worked hard. They have seen, you know, good come from that, and they've seen that as fruit of their efforts in some way, Okay? This is difficult for us to live, I think, if that's where we come from. I think this is a real challenge to us, to many of us, because of just where we've grown up in our lives, okay? The truth is, we're actually often very proud of what we accomplished. We've looked at our dreams and goals, and we've said, man, I got there. I did it, okay? I I, I wanted to do them on my own. I didn't want to need anyone's help to get there, and I'm really happy that I did that. And I think deep down, sometimes we might truly think admitting our need of God's help means we're not self-sufficient. It means, you know, that that has taken away our independence and that's some sort of failure. We might rather believe, I earned the house that I live in. I earned this car I drive. I earned this career that gives me purpose, this diploma on my wall. And I'm going to continue to earn everything that I get as I go on. If that's true, I think it means that living hashtag blessed according to worldly standards often means we would rather avoid being blessed by God, being poor in spirit. Because it is those who have weighed themselves honestly and consider their need of God 
even if that threatens their self-sufficiency or independence, who belong to the kingdom. It's not a weakness in God's kingdom to rely on him. Instead, that's actually where all your strength comes from. In God's kingdom, if you are weak, if you are dependent, and you realize that, you cry out to God, you are honored. You have God's attention because he has yours. You're not inadequate, you're not lacking or less than in any way. In fact, if anything, you would be called wise in this kingdom because you see the world as it is, as you cry out to God. Blessed are you if you can embrace that. Let's move on to the next one, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, Julie and I recently were watching this show on Netflix called Is It Cake? Have any of you guys seen this show? Okay, a few of you. Okay, good. A few of you have seen this show. Okay. Um, ba- if you haven't seen it, the show brings on these amateur bakers, um, and they have them make cakes that they do everything possible to make reflect like an actual like everyday object, so like a shoe or like a sand pail or something. Um, and like, I would never have realized like you could make cakes that look just like these things. It's super impressive. Yeah, these people, I mean, they do really well in the Hunger Games because apparently that is a survival skill in the Hunger Games, if PETA tells us anything about it, right? But at the end of the episode, kind of they spend the whole episode, you know, making these cakes, they bring in these like celebrity judges uh, who are going to be the ones to kind of determine whether or not this is a cake or a shoe, you know, like they'll kind of like judge it. And I remember Julie and I were like, who are these people? Like, I feel like celebrity cannot be the right term to describe these people. Like, they were, you know, like Netflix famous a lot of times. Like, people that had maybe been in some obscure Netflix show or something, right? Um, And there's, like, there's so many of those now that we just find it kind of interesting. Like, becoming a celebrity has never been easier in any society, probably in the whole world, right? Anyone can pull out their phone, and if they spend enough time and kind of hit the right buttons, right, they can become a celebrity. It's very easy to do. And it's something a lot of people seek out, right? It's a major goal for people. I've heard stories about kids who grow up, you know, thinking an actual career path is like going viral on TikTok, okay? So this is just something that's, that's part of the culture we grow up in, of wanting to be known, of being able to say, you might have heard of me, you know? That's something we kind of seek out, we kind of value. That means you made it, right? That would make you blessed and honored and happy, right? There's so many ways that you could try to, try to seek that out. And I think that the way that this challenges that is it, it's saying that in God's kingdom, those who aren't doing all they can to make a name for themselves are actually the ones who are blessed, you may not make it onto any you know, obscure shows. You might not be, ever get to be a celebrity judge on something, right? But you have God's attention. Being blessed has nothing to do with whether or not people know your name for some reason. God does not care about that stuff one bit. Instead, the humble, the meek, the ones who strive to do good and follow God, not in trying to impose their name on others or see it made great and up in flashing lights in some way, you know, who don't care how many people notice or know their name, they're the ones who have God's attention. The ones who seek God out, who seek to humbly live and follow what God calls them to, no matter who notices, they're the ones who have God's attention. And I think it's good for us to be reminded of that from time to time. 
Blessed are you to have God's attention, not other people's. Let's do verse 6. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, we have an identity and calling class that we do at Res City. And one of the things we, we kind of walk through all these different things that, you know, we get people to sort of think about and discern that kind of points them in the direction of what God's calling on their life might be. And there's a lot of ways that we do that. But uh, one of the things we talk about in one of the sessions is something that is often wired into people that we call holy discontent. Now, I stole that from a conference, so, uh, you know, you know don't, don't, don't think I made that up or anything. It's too clever for me, but uh, holy discontentment. And you can think of it like this, all right? We, today, we prayed the Lord's Prayer. We pray this once a month as a church. We think it's the prayer Jesus called us to pray. It's actually uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, so we'll, we'll spend some time talking about it specifically. But one of the things we pray in that is we ask for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that kind of like requires us to uh, assume that God's kingdom has not yet fully come on earth as it is in heaven. It's still lacking in some way. We're still waiting for God to flood the world with his kingdom yet more. And that's a, that's a big part of what we believe as Christians, that we're waiting for God to do that more and more. But I, I imagine when you pray that and you're really thinking about what you're praying, something probably comes to your mind. I don't know what it is. Something probably comes to your mind, though. Something that you feel like you just feel discontented about. You feel like, I wish God's kingdom were more fully here in this area of the world, right? It could, it could be whatever it is. It could be connected to your story in some way, okay? In truth, we, we all might have different things that come to our mind. And in truth, um, you know, God's kingdom can always come yet more in all sorts of different ways on earth as it is in heaven. But what I'm getting at for this here is, is this idea that we all understand that the world is not yet right. When God comes and, and floods the world with his righteousness, like the word righteousness kind of is a complicated word, but fundamentally what it means is he has set the world right again. He has made the world as it should be once more. And so when we are, are praying that prayer, we're longing for God, just like God longs to come and set the world right again. He, he's hungry for it. God has an appetite to set the world right again. And we are, you know, it's easy for us to become jaded towards the world, right? It's easy for us to, you know, just kind of accept it as it is, you know, get, get distracted by other things to, to lose our own appetite for righteousness, choosing to be numb or not want to put ourselves, uh, you know, out there in some way. But God doesn't want us to settle for what we've inherited. He wants us to thirst and to long and hunger for righteousness to come on earth as it is in heaven, if you long for the world to be set right in some way, God says, you are blessed. Blessed are those who have holy discontent. All right, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We live in a world that is very divided, right? Very divided up. Um, between different groups of people who see the world fundamentally different, right, and are challenging each other, and it makes it very tough to be a peacemaker today, okay? Look at, look at our politics. Just think about, like, when you see, we're starting to see campaign ads already start to come up here. What's, what's a word we often find can, uh, candidates using to describe themselves? A fighter, 
right? This person is a fighter. They get stuff done. They will not take it from the other side. You can trust them to go, you know, scrap with the other side. No matter what they do, fight tooth and nail. And there is this sort of like burn it all down, no more Mr. Nice Guy strain in our politics right now. And I don't know, I've only been alive for about 30 years. I don't know if that's always been the case or if it's just uniquely our time here today. Um, But I think that we kind of, especially nowadays, say like, you know, in some worlds, it would be really great if we all work together, work for peace with people who think differently than me. But this election is so important. We can't say we have got to destroy the other side. Okay, I was a political science major. Okay, I kind of learned about how campaigns do this. Like, I can guarantee you that stuff is cooked up in a campaign lab somewhere to get you out to vote because they know it's what people want to hear. All right, that's they want you to want to fight because it helps them get elected. So it creates this sort of like fighting is good. The other side is bad. We need to we need to destroy the other side. And I really think that's taken root in our society today that we want to despise other people, we want to, defi- we want to fight them. And no matter how much we might say about how it's our value to love other people or to work together, like that's not deep down what we all want oftentimes. In God's kingdom, peace and, and real unity, okay, not fake unity, of which there certainly are, 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 are types that we can talk about, peace and real unity are actually one of the agendas that we're called to. It's actually a marker of God's kingdom that there is peace, that there is unity among people in it. The cynical view is that nothing would get done if, if that's all we sought, I think, right? And so we assume, yeah, we, we must need fighters, and that f- builds into the church today. We definitely have lots of, you know, self-described fighters within the church as well. But in God's kingdom, we don't have to to, to take the cynical view that if someone isn't out there fighting, nothing gets done, because the whole point of this kingdom that God is bringing to earth is that he's the one who's brought it. We didn't bring this kingdom. We didn't do anything. That's what makes it an announcement, right? And not a, not a call for you to do this thing and then God's kingdom to come will come. No, God has brought, has brought the kingdom. That's how this kingdom works, is God brings us. It's not on us to deliver the ultimate goods. And when we start to realize that, it frees us up to seek peace, right? Rather than, uh, you know, the, the burden being on us to deliver the goods, even if that means, like, cracking some heads in the process. That's not how it has to work, okay? God works through peacemakers, not fighters. And really, I think the whole, the Beatitudes as a whole, they kind of hinge on this idea too, right? God has done something and will one day do something still greater. And he does it through the one who embodied all of these blessings. If you're looking for the one person who lives all this out perfectly, we don't have to look any further than the one who is on that mountain preaching it to us. Jesus was poor in spirit. He was so poor in spirit that he died a shame-filled execution for being a rebel, which he wasn't actually. He was meek. He resisted the temptation to use his power to make a name for himself, instead choosing to focus on God and do what God called him to do. He believed God would make things right again. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness and believed that in his work that God was bringing that to bear on earth as it is in heaven. He was merciful. He was pure in heart. He was persecuted. Okay? This is a theme we're going to talk about throughout this series as well. Everything that Jesus calls us to do, he's not calling us to do anything he didn't do himself and didn't do perfectly. 
give us an example, to give us hope, and to give us power to be able to walk in it ourselves as we follow after him. Blessed are you if you believe that God brings the kingdom through Jesus and you trust him to do so. So we're going to wrap up the sermon here uh, at this point. We'll take a couple of Q&R questions. we have any that came through? Okay, great. We'll take, take a few, and then we'll close in prayer, do communion and worship like we normally do. Sorry, I had to make sure I got the right one open. Um, okay, first question. How do we make sure that we don't view the Beatitudes as works-based faith? Yeah. It seems easy to misread it as if I do these holy mm-hmm. things, then mm-hmm. I will be blessed, yeah. ra- whether it be in this life or the next. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think, you know, that is one of the ways we can err as we come to the Sermon on the Mount is think, um, boy, you know, if I just do all these things that Jesus is telling me to do, then I will, you know, inherit the kingdom or something like that, right? I think that's, that, is, that is a way you can read it. But kind of like I said earlier in, in the sermon, like, let's just think about the, how the order of this operated, okay? If Jesus had started to, you know, he, if he had come and the first thing he did was he said, here's what you got to do, and then the kingdom has come. Then that might be what it looks like. But Jesus has said, no, the kingdom is here. Repent. Like, you guys, it has is, it is already come. You have done nothing to condition this coming, all right? The kingdom has already come. And if you find yourself in this state, you're going to find yourself blessed as this kingdom comes upon you. Okay, so I think, I think you know, a short answer to a, what could be a really complex question is at least to just think about the order of operations here. Like, the kingdom is something that God has done. He's already done it. We don't have to convince God through our good works or through us following this perfectly to bring it. It's already here. We're already invited to join it. We're already invited to wrap our lives around it. And when we do, this is what that looks like. That's kind of how the Sermon on the Mount works. So. All right. Um, next question says, while all of us will experience times of feeling poor in spirit due to trials or suffering, many of us live with a general undercurrent of stability and support and even comfort. So do you have any practical suggestions for cultivating this poverty of spirit, recognizing our need for God in all times, especially in the midst of general well-being and success? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think that's, um, again, like, we could do a whole sermon series on that. Um, I think one way, and again, I'll just give an answer that Jesus gives here, is that Jesus talks a lot about, like, generosity, Right? So, like, there's a story about a, a young rich man who comes to follow after Jesus. Um, and he says, hey, what do I have to do to, like, join this kingdom? And Jesus is like, oh, well, did you, you know, you followed the law, right? And he's like, yeah, I did that. And then he's like, oh, well, uh, okay, why don't you go sell everything you have and then come follow me? And it's, it's a challenge, right? Jesus likes to use hyperbole in how he preaches, right? So whether or not he's actually telling this specific guy to go sell everything or telling us, like, the only way we can, if we are a rich person, is to sell everything we have, that, that's up for debate. But I think the point is this. Like, one way we can cultivate that is by not seeing the money or the resources that we have been given as something to hoard so that we can use it to fall back on, to kind of hedge our bets, right? To kind of say, yeah, you know, I'm going to do this Jesus stuff on the one hand, but I've got all this stuff in the background to fall back on just in case. 
one of the ways that the, 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 the gospel calls us to respond to Jesus is to be very generous with what we've been given. To not see it as something, again, that we've earned, but as a gift that we can turn around and give away in the same way that God has given us the gift of his son and his kingdom. And so I think a way to cultivate that in yourself is to really consider, how can I see this as not something to... Uh, you know, to support me, but how can I be looking for ways to be generous with what I've been given? Whether it's my time, my resources, uh, my money, whatever that is. Like, cultivating generosity in yourself, I think, comes out of a heart of seeing everything you've been given as a gift, and that's something that God has ownership over and not you, and I think that can help you to develop that sort of, that sort of spirit. So, I mean, radical generosity, I think, is one of the answers that Jesus and, and the early church that we find in the New Testament would give uh, to that question. But I think there's a lot, a lot more that you could do with that too. And to be honest, like, God is, God is sometimes gracious to remind us of it too <laughs> um, and, and put us in a place where we have, to, we have to cry out to him. We have to reset our minds to remember um, that. So good question though. Um, I'm going to ask one more for today and then maybe we'll, we'll find a way to answer some of these other ones later on. Um, but we've got several questions kind of all around the same idea of, you know, if Jesus says at different points in Scripture that he did not come to bring peace or, you know, he overturned tables mm -hmm. um, or he, you know, wanted to confront evil. So what's the, how does that work together with being a peacemaker and also confronting Yeah evil? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I thought this might get asked. Um, and it is a, it does feel like a bit of a contradiction, perhaps, in what Jesus is saying. He's saying, like, be a peacemaker on the one hand, but then on the other hand, like, he's saying, like, I kind of know, like, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be conflict because of what's taking place here. Um, and that's certainly true, right? Conflict kind of did take place. Um, and I think we'll get into this stuff a little bit more when we get into what Jesus has to say about what, how you treat your enemies, Okay, so Jesus actually has a whole section on the Sermon on the Mount about, you know, this is what you're supposed to do with your enemies. Um, and I think, I think for Jesus to say things like, you know, uh, there, is, there is this conflict that comes because of what's going on. It's not because Jesus is showing up and he's like, that's it. We are going to kill the bad guys and they're going down and that's how we're going to bring this kingdom to bear. Jesus knew that his kingdom coming, like I said, it came crashing into our earth, right? And, and he understood that this earth is ruled over and uh, is part of another kingdom. So there's this inevitable conflict as the two come together. And I think when Jesus talks about conflict, he's largely saying that this conflict is coming because of, of this, these two things coming crashing together. But if you actually look at Jesus' actions, like nothing that he did was seeking out to try to destroy his enemy, right? He, this is the guy who, like, the fundamental way that he brings his kingdom is, comes at the end of the book, where he lets himself get nailed to a cross. He lets his enemy literally do their worst to him, to kill him. And it's through him giving up his own life and not fighting back that this kingdom actually finally truly comes. So again, that's kind of a brief, short answer to what is a, a difficult question, and, and especially as we start to, you know, 
ask application about like, well, do, does that mean we are supposed to confront evil or not in the world? I think the answer is yes. We should challenge evil. But in how we do it, are we doing it in such a way that tries to bring peace and unity by denying ourselves, by, um, you know, doing everything in a Christ-like way, a cruciform way, um, or are we trying to dominate our enemy? I think that is, as we start to ask that question and ask and look about how we confront evil through that way, we're starting to get towards Jesus's answer, I think. Um, yeah, so good question. I'm sorry, I, you know, I, if you're feeling like at any point, like, I wish, you know, that you could say more about that. I wish I could too, but like, you know, we got to end this at some point. And if you guys know me, like, I would talk all day about this stuff if I could. So, um, yeah, thank you for the great questions, everyone. We appreciate them. Uh, this is a super fun thing that we, we love to do and to get to really get some re- response from you guys and get some kind of dialogue going about the sermon. So any other questions you might have, yeah, maybe we'll see if there's some way we can try to respond to them. But bring them to your community groups too. I think that's actually a great place to talk about these as well. It's part of the reason we have them and we have um, people talk about the sermon in them. So you can actually dig deeper at these types of questions. We don't want to leave you hanging after uh, church. We, we want there to be dialogue. So please bring any questions you have uh, to your community groups this week. So, all right, I'm going to pray for us. Um, in, in just a second here, we're going to enter a time of worship, and we're going to take some communion. So if you'd like to take communion with us, even if you're not a, a member or a normal attender here at Res City, um, we welcome anyone who's a follower of Jesus to come up and take communion here. And this is just us recalibrating ourselves to what it took for God to bring this kingdom. It took Jesus taking our sin upon himself, taking the evil, the unrighteousness of the world upon himself and dying, condemning it in his flesh so that we might have new life in him. Okay, and so every Sunday we take communion to remind ourselves of that, to kind of recenter ourselves towards Jesus and what it took for him uh, to accomplish all this in communion. Please come up and take it. We'll be entering a time of worship as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have brought your kingdom to earth. We thank you that you have looked at the world, you, you hunger and you thirst for righteousness in it. And instead of sitting there and just wishing that were the case, God, you've actually done something about it. And we live in a world that has been fundamentally changed because of that. I pray that you would give us wisdom as we ask ourselves, what does it look like to really truly live within that world as we study the uh, Sermon on the Mount this um, fall, God? Just give us wisdom, give us uh, uh, inspiration and revelation through your Holy Spirit so that we might be people who can truly live this out as best as we possibly can uh, in the state of the world that we live in now, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.